Ever wonder how guanxi relationships are developed? What's the motivating factor when a Chinese person extends you goodwill or gives you face? And in what context does that even matter? Ultimately, we want to answer this question: Is having close guanxi relationships enough to guarantee a successful partnership in China? Vincent was just under 40 years old, white complexion, boyish face, and a little bit chubby. He has a roundish face that always seemed to be smiling, and as far as Chinese faces go, he has what I would consider a very trustworthy face, if there's such a thing. Perhaps this is because of his boyish curiosity and personality to match. In other words, I never detected any intentions from him to deceive or. To zan pian yi, which is the Chinese cultural habit of extracting small advantages whenever possible, Vincent always wanted to give, whether it was buying drinks or sharing some nei bu xiaoxi, which is inside information or connections for deals. <laughs> I met Vincent while playing pool at the Blue Marlin Barn Restaurant in Shanghai's New Pudong District, and we seemed to hit it off instantly. I was a much better pool player, and Vincent felt like a little brother that always looked up to me because I was older and better at everything. Whenever I made a difficult shot, Vincent's face would always animate with this amazement, like "Wow," which had the result of making me feel even more delighted during our matches, even though they were just for fun. During this period, I was also importing American custom pool cues to China, both as a hobby and as a side hustle. And of course, Vincent immediately purchased one of my cues, and seemed to be peddling them for me whenever he could. So our guanxi quickly deepened. Now, guanxi is the level of relationship between two people that affects everything from trust to favoritism to referrals to get things done in China. But it also affects the level of expectation between two people, especially in terms of reciprocity and the exchange of goodwill. So Vincent and I became friends based on a mutual interest, playing pool and hanging out at the Blue Marlin. And now he was also technically a customer of mine. Now say that he was curious because he always seemed to be interested in anything associated with my Americanness, business opportunities in the U.S., Western business strategy, culture, sports—you name it. Basically, all the things that I consciously or subconsciously. Love to talk about anyway. If this was a deliberate strategy, Vincent pulled it off brilliantly because he would just let me talk until I was fat and happy. Vincent's wife was Grace, an average-looking Chinese gal without too much personality. She spoke in a lower, monotone voice and didn't seem to laugh very much. Grace was about the same age as my wife. But they had a little boy that was about three years old at the time. As is typical with Chinese couples, Grace stopped working when she became pregnant, and her life had become quite mundane as a full-time mother. I would later discover that Vincent was always on the lookout for something that Grace could do career-wise, but it also had to be something that Grace would feel good about doing. In other words, it would have to be something that gave her face or mianzi. Which is the respect that she feels she gains when she is perceived as something in her case more than just a housewife. 
Now, there's an important distinction here. It's how she feels she is perceived within the context of Chinese perceptions and not how she is actually perceived, which is largely irrelevant within a culture that prioritizes giving face whenever possible. As my wife and I developed an affection for their son that Grace would sometimes bring to the bar, we also began having dinners together, meaning our guanxi moved beyond Blue Marlin and into each other's homes. This was all initiated by Vincent, of course, but it felt natural and welcomed. So now, with our wives as friends too, and visiting each other's homes, our guanxi reached another level. We then met his parents that were living in Shanghai to help take care of their son. So when my parents visited us in China, our families had dinner together at a restaurant. This was again Vincent's invitation that we accepted. And once again, with our parents meeting each other, our guanxi deepened to yet another level. Vincent had this endearing characteristic, which was his ability to gan ku li huo, or to tsu ku, which means bear hardships. In practice, I often observed that Vincent was always eager to do the heavy lifting, the manual labor that most white-collar professionals outsourced, even though he was a doctor himself in China. He wasn't a practicing physician, but he had a medical degree and worked at China's largest state-owned pharmaceutical company. Vincent also had his other sources of income, or hui so ru, which is what is called gray income, that most Chinese people have because they're able to extract it from the Chinese system or value chain. The net result was Grace technically didn't need to work for money. They already owned several properties, including the home that they lived in, but Grace wanted to continue her career for her face, or perhaps she was just bored. As our relationship deepened and we spent more and more time together, Vincent always shared his challenges at work and any potential business opportunities he was considering with me, always leaving the door open if I ever wanted to partner with him for any opportunity. Since my time was more valuable to me relative to most Chinese people, I always felt these so-called business opportunities were too much work for too little return. So I just offered my advice and some ideas, but never really expressed any real interest to participate. We started visiting their home more and more, and it became routine that we chat about something related to business or strategy, or just how I would solve some type of business problem. As we had more and more of these chats, which evolved into mentoring or advisory sessions, one common theme kept emerging. We should really start a business together to teach and train Chinese people with your expertise. So, was the level of guanxi between me and Vincent sufficient to launch a partnership together? Yes, of course it was. But what additional challenges remain when trust doesn't seem to be an issue anymore? Before continuing the story of my business partnership with Vincent, we need to bring some attention that your level of guanxi has ramifications across all types of relationships not just when partnering. There's the guanxi you have with your channel partners, suppliers, and customers. And how about when you're a consultant and the client is paying you millions of euros to analyze, implement, and change something? 
What's at stake from the guanxi you develop with your Chinese Workstream counterparts? And how about the guanxi you have with those you hire or those assigned to report directly to you? There are many more examples, but let's talk about being a paratrooper manager or kongjiang bude. This is a scenario many foreigners encounter in China. And it's basically when you are assigned to live and work there. It's probably more commonly known as being a China expat, but paratrooper manager metaphorically describes how your newfound presence in China is perceived by those you will eventually lead. You see, when paratroopers are dropped onto foreign soil, they are there to create some type of clandestine disruption. And in the case of China expats, though we come bearing gifts and opportunities, we are generally perceived negatively by local Chinese staff and coworkers across two broad categories. Number one, we are unqualified with the possible exception of scientists or technical fellows. But if you don't understand how things work in China, and especially if you communicate through a translator, you will be given the customary face, but you can bet that everyone is skeptical of your qualifications. And number two, you're perceived as a threat. No matter when a system or process was put in place, Chinese people will figure out how to navigate it and extract the maximum personal benefit from it. So when you suddenly appear with intentions to improve, add, or change something, it would never be perceived as a benefit, or should I say, a personal benefit, by those who are already familiar with the current system, even if they were the ones speaking loudest about demanding change. So let's try to imagine what people might think or do behind the scenes when you are not around. If you are perceived both as unqualified and a threat to someone's well-being. Well, that's exactly the situation I was in when I was hired from the U.S. by the German CEO of a German company to be based in China to lead the entire Asia-Pacific sales organization. I first met Richard when he personally came to pick me up at Shanghai Pudong International Airport. Richard is a stereotypical Chinese who was about the same height as me. I'm 5'9". He's a little stocky with neatly parted short black hair and a squarish face. He wore a white dress shirt, dark slacks, and black dress shoes that were slightly worn. There was no way I could have picked him out of the crowd if he wasn't holding a sign with my name and our company name in the sea of prearranged drivers there to pick up their passengers just outside of customs. Richard was our China sales manager, my highest level direct report in China. He was the first local salesperson hired over 10 years ago when the company first established its presence in China. And over those 10 years, he carved out a pretty good situation for himself. You see, no one that he reported to or worked with from Germany spoke Chinese or really understand anything about how China really works. With perhaps the exception of the China general manager, who was German, but he'd been living in China for almost 20 years and was married to a local Chinese. 
Asia Pacific, or APAC, represented only 6% of global sales, which was greatly disproportionate to its market size. So I was hired from Germany after a two-day interview where I spoke with all of the corporate executives, C-level people, and even met with those on the advisory board. My job was to increase that 6% number to 25. You see, this company had a real dilemma in Asia Pacific. If you send someone from Europe to Asia, that person would have no idea how to really change things except to listen to the recommendations of the local salespeople already there. If you elevated the China sales manager, he wouldn't be accepted necessarily by the guy in Japan and vice versa if you decided to elevate the sales manager in Japan, who also handled the Korean market. Now, the rest of Southeast Asia was managed from Switzerland by Kai a tall, good-looking German who joined the company just after high school and was now handling all sales orders coming from Asia. Kai had a special affinity for Asia because his girlfriend was Vietnamese, so he was constantly looking for opportunities to be assigned to work somewhere in Asia. Richard, Kai, and Robert, the sales manager and general manager in Japan because Japan has an office and a warehouse, had all joined this company around the same time 10 years ago. It's like they were all equals, so how could you decide who to promote to this new position of Asia-Pacific Sales Director? So this is where my paratrooper manager story begins. Would I be welcomed by Richard? Or would he be resentful that someone with no industry experience no company experience, and no technical experience, who didn't even speak German, was now his boss. What qualifications did I have to change and disrupt the sales operations he had built over the last 10 years? In the past, when Richard would make joint sales calls with the product managers and salespeople visiting from Germany, he would arrange everything, or should I say, he would orchestrate everything in order to give the Germans the impression that would be most favorable to him. He was a translator, interpreter, and advisor for every meeting in China with key customers and internally. In other words, Richard was 100% in control of the narratives coming out of China. Now imagine that I'm hired without any consultation from him or anyone else in China to start leading the sales operations. And my only qualification is I speak fluent Chinese, so I don't need an interpreter. And I understand how things work in China, so I don't need an advisor. In fact, I was hired because of my previous experience dealing with all sorts of crazy situations in China. Now, let's consider this question again. Is my presence something that Richard welcomes and embraces? Or... Are there things he fears from my American mentality and system of values that might not be able to accept his current way of working? Hey, this is Gene. Thank you for listening. The story with Vincent is an example of how Guanxi is developed between two people who, by default, don't have any hierarchical relationship together. In Chinese, we say, But in the story with Richard, He is my direct report, and he became my direct report before we'd ever even met. 
So we'll use this story to illustrate what's happening beyond perceptions as Guanxi is being developed, and some subtle signs that everything isn't as it appears, especially when you're in a reality distortion bubble called the honeymoon period. So I hope you're subscribed so you can listen to how these two stories and more unfold in completely different and unexpected ways. Thank you.